This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring. Yes, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. My name is Tim Nicholson. Very excited to uh, to have your company once again after we had a bit of a small break last week to let those wonderful guys uh, from Critical Hit uh, have an extra little bit of time and they had a wonderful time. I know they did. Uh, But we are back. We're going to talk about lots of things today. Heaps coming up on the show. We talk about Hyundai's new luxury brand. Uh, We suss out the My Taxi's social media fail. We give you an update on the Volkswagen Dieselgate saga and we drive some pretty sexy cars. So we've got lots coming up. Uh, my name is Tim Nicholson. I've got the lovely Mike Costello with me. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm just going to take off my pastel uh, jacket <laughs> with uh, and my shoes with no socks That's if we're it. really in an 80s vibe. Truly 80s. Truly mm. 80s. And of course, Kes Casey. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very well. That's good to hear. Good to hear. A little bit warm, a little bit warm in the uh, the Joy Studios today. They've uh, The boys have been hotting it up. Everyone else has been hotting it up as well. It's just warm in general. Um, So we are going to keep it at that level and talk about some pretty hot cars a little bit later on. So uh, stick around. We might talk about some Jaguars, some sexy Jaguars and some other things. But before that, we're going to talk about some less sexy things. And ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about this week's news. And uh, one of the biggest releases uh, uh, this week was Fiat's new one-ton utility, ladies and gentlemen, Um, which is called the fullback. Huh. That's an AFL reference. And N- NFL? Is that a thing? Did I just NFL, those? yeah. Line, is it linebacker? Full, fullback? Sure. I don't know. Interestingly enough, uh, it won't go on sale in the American market, but it's named after an American football code. Oh. But it odd. also won't just go on odd. sale in Australia, which is also the other football code we're talking about. This yeah. is a South American car, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. So emerging markets, I don't even know. North about. Africa, Middle oh. East and South America. But which it'll probably do well in those markets. Yeah, this car, this car is interesting and let's, mm. let's not bore people to death no. too long, but yeah. it's a Mitsubishi Triton. Yep. It's not a Fiat, it's a Mitsubishi no, Triton. And do, you remember, do you remember the 90s they had like the, the, the Ford Maverick, which yes. was the Patrol, and the, the, the Nissan version of the Falcon Ute? Yeah. And the Apollo and the Camry, yeah. and it was all the rage, the Nova and the Corolla. This is that. Badge engineering. I mean, at least the BT-50 and the Ranger are differentiated a bit. This yeah. literally is a Triton with a Fiat badge on it. I thought that, you know, we, we knew that they were going to do this uh, maybe a year ago or maybe a little bit more. I thought that was going to be a bit more of a, you know, you have your body, we'll have ours, but it'll be based on the same platform. No, they've literally given it maybe a new grill and changed the badges. Mm. Sexy, sexy. Sharing um, bodies. I know. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Right on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, some other things we've seen this week, and this one's a bit of a controversial one, and I know we'll have some opinions here in the room. The Range Rover Evoque Convertible. Mm. The question that nobody asked, really, wasn't it? I'd have asked it. Really? Maybe. Oh. I think, well, I think, I think, yes. <laughs> I think, yes. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons why this car makes sense, because, you know, SUVs are now the default car. You know, they're pretty much the default car now. The high riding body style, mm. and so 
ergo it makes sense for convertibles to be SUVs, right, in that sense. And the other one is if there was ever going to be an SUV that would make the most sense as a convertible, it would be the most style-oriented SUV out there, which is the Evoque, mm. which is really just a, a style statement. It's yeah. nothing else. Yeah. You only buy it for the looks. It's really a high-riding hatch, isn't it? Yeah, but they've announced pricing for Oz, right? Yes, it's, they have. what is it, 86? 86 grand, which isn't cheap. It's more expensive than the most expensive hardtop variant oh. in, in its lowest spec. Plus, there's a higher spec version as well, which is 90-something. Yeah, it goes up to 90. It's a lot of money. I don't know how they're justifying that part. And there's no upgrade to engines or interiors or things like that, with the exception of the folding roof. So, it's... Um, it's just it's it's a lot of money for a folding roof. But that said, uh, putting a convertible top on a car is not a cheap exercise to do. Yeah. You know. And we're hoping that some of that money has gone to, uh, you know, that don't giggle too much, but stiffening the body um, because you have to. Because as we know, when you get a convertible wrong, mm. it can be really wobbly. Yeah. The structural rigidity when you, uh, effect of losing a roof is massive unless you add, you know, strengthening mm. to the body itself. So hopefully that's where the extra 20 grand has gone. Fingers crossed. Now, do you guys remember the Nissan Murano convertible? Oh, yes. I love the Nissan Murano cross cabriolet. Seriously? <laughs> Really? Oh, my God. Kez. Yes. You are surprising me today. Uh, that thing, so that was US market only, yeah. uh, took the Nissan Murano, which is like the style leader of Nissan's SUV range, and did exactly the same thing. Took the roof off and made it into a style-oriented, lifestyle-focused open-top cruiser. Kez, like a marketing are, you, person. are you a valley girl? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the only person that bought the um, yeah. Like, don't tell anyone, but like, <laughs> totally. Oh, right my away. God. <laughs> Uh, the wow. problem that the cross cabriolet mm. had was that the two back seats to make way for the roof mechanism uh, were large enough to fit maybe a pair of garden gnomes. Oh, right. Okay. Well, this raises another interesting point, not to get on too much of a tangent, but mm. what the hell happened to the, the four-seat convertible? It was all a rage for a while there. The Obviously, the Lincoln yeah. Conti is the most famous of them all. But there's really... I mean, there are, there are convertibles today that sort of have four seats. Mercedes E-Class comes to mind, for instance. The S-Class? The S-Class, yeah. But even that's pretty pokey. Is it? The S-Class coupe and convertible, no despite, the fact, despite the fact it's massive, it's yeah. not packaged very well. It's yeah. surprisingly small on the back. Whatever happened to the proper four-seat convertible? I feel a bit like in the 60s, if your car had the torsional rigidity of wet spaghetti, it didn't matter. And to get the kind of torsional rigidity that mm. people expect in a modern setting, you need to shrink a car down quite a lot and reinforce the hell out of it. You can't do that with a big four-seater. Maybe that's the reason. That's, yeah. a, that's a good... good uh, Americans still give it a bit of a nudge with things like the Camaro and the Mustang, but that's about... They're not huge cars. What so was the Sebring convertible? Oh, yeah. Oh, the Chrysler Sebring. I see them around a lot. So do I. And I don't know why. And mm. I don't know who's buying them. If you're buying them, can you please text in and tell I us once why? Saw 0427 woman, Joy 949. I once saw a woman get out of one in like full jodhpur's riding gear <gasps> and to me that was the biggest cross-up of what you would expect to see because surely she should be getting out of like a bmw x5 or a range rover or something, or range rover yeah. or something. she's breaking down i don't know how a sabrine convertible goes no. towing three and a half tons of horse float but no, no. she gave it a go though undiscovered talent now boys some other uh, brief news this week so there are reports coming out of the americas that uh, general motors is going to sell its first chinese built car in the united the united states next year Controversial. Well, this is going to happen, surely, because mm. if you want to sell cars in China, you have to make them in China. Mm. You have to have a joint venture with a Chinese company and make them there with that brand. Mm. Um, 
So the logical next step is to export them. And since everything else you buy is from China, you yeah. know, your phone's made in China, your TV's made in China, every toy you've ever bought, the clothes you wear on your back, it's all made in China. Mm. We have this weird hang-up about Chinese cars, yeah. and I don't know how long that's going to last. And it's been it's not just, you know, GM. I mean, Volvo's talking about doing it. There are a number of brands that are probably going to start doing this. And the question is... Do people care? Mm. I mean, the fact that your C-Class Mercedes and your mm. BMW 3 Series come from South Africa, for instance, yeah. you might not know that. Mm. If you're listening, you do now. <laughs> um, so, do you, do you care if yeah. a car comes from China? I think I, that's the thing that a lot of people don't realise, that like most products, consumer products, are made where overheads are the lowest, be that labour costs mm. or uh, uh, property costs or whatever, to keep the final cost of the product down mm. they're built in places that are cheap to build things yeah. china is one of those places so while cars are made in south africa they're made in eastern europe they're made in thailand like yeah. a lot of australian vehicles come from thailand because it's a low labor cost country whether end consumers know that or not you know does that make a difference would you have bought your car if you knew that it came from say for example you bought a toyota expecting it to be japanese built mm but it didn't come from Japan. Yeah. Would that affect your decision? I don't think it would. I don't think it would either. And I, and I think that's what it is, though. I think it's the brand. I think if uh, whether it's a, you know, a Holden or a Ford or a Mercedes or something like that, I think if that's built in China because they trust that brand, I don't think they're going to care that much. But if it's a Cherry or it's something that's not that yeah. they're not sure about, that's untested, or Haval that's coming well, in Australia now, that kind of thing, I think that's maybe where people get a bit like, yeah, I'm not ready for this yet. And these mm. companies use the same standards no matter where a product is built. They mm. don't vary the quality because it comes from China versus mm. the United States. Uh, Volvo has already sourced the S60 or long wheelbase versions of the S60 for the United States market out of China yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's not, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's so. not the first product to go into the into a developed yeah. market out of China and, and it's an established manufacturer. Yeah. So And let us know. I mean, is that is that a concern? O four two seven joy nine four nine or email on air at joy.org.au. Uh, do you care where your car is built? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, very briefly, uh, ladies and gentlemen, one more thing that happened this week uh, closer to home, guys, was the popular new Hyundai SUV, the Tucson. Had a bit of a had a bit of a fall this oh, week, wow. didn't it? Mike? Yeah, a bit disastrous, of a... disastrous, yeah. disastrous. There's no other way to cut it. Mm. Disastrous. Um, Tucson is Hyundai's new iX35 replacement. It's bigger, it's bolder, it's better. Mm. It's a Mazda CX-5 rival, and probably, in my opinion, just about the best car in the segment in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, interior versatility, looks, style, equipment. It's really good. Um, but it just got a four-star ANCAP crash rating, which is an absolute disaster. There Whoops. really is no other way to put it. You can't spin it. You can't talk you out of it. That is a disaster. Uh, and it's not just on some technicality. We've seen cars get mm. four stars from yeah. ANCAP before over strange things like lacking a you know, little monitor here or a seatbelt warning thing here. But this is actually to do with something a bit more significant yeah. than that. It's interesting. It's something to do. Is it the footwell of the driver's side mm. footwell, the impact upon impact or whatever that the damage they deemed as as, as too severe to to warrant a five star? Yeah, rating. which means we're not talking about just fitting a yeah. sensor. This is no. going to require wholesale changes. And you might remember an engineering change. Yeah, and you might recall this, this happened with the Kia Carnival. This is the same mm. thing happened with that car as well. Yep. Uh, Kia and Hyundai, obviously. You know, Hyundai is the parent company of Kia, so there, there, there's maybe an issue creeping in here with those brands that when they convert the cars or they engineer them for right-hand drive, they're not getting the footwells it, right. It is yeah. worth noting that that car gets a five-star Euro NCAP rating as well, so that definitely sounds like a case of left-to-right-hand drive conversion, maybe mm. not being built the same way or... Uh, 
whether there's changes in that that compromise the structure for right-hand drive production. And of course, all cars need to be safe, but cars like this that are used no. with families are yeah. particularly I mean and, and, and this is it's going to hurt this car more than others yeah. if a Mazda MX-5 or something gets four stars you don't mind so much but if a family SUV yeah, yeah. does that's a real problem I think the way that Hyundai have responded is that they've said we're already looking into ways that this can be fixed you know through manufacturing or whatever they've kind of been on the front foot but in the past some of these companies and I'll, I'll use Kia as an example came out swinging and I, I don't know if that's the best way I don't think the consumer likes that if they're coming out and going, like, before they've been tested, oh, we're expecting a five-star result. You might be expecting a five-star result, but you haven't got the result yet. Well, the thing so, is, and, and sometimes you're right, too. Like ANCAP mm-hmm. isn't always perfect. ANCAP yeah. stuffs up a lot of things, in my opinion, where, where there are small technicalities that it gives cars odd ratings that don't seem to compute. Yep. But when you crash a car and there's structural issues, you can't argue with that. Yeah. It is what it is. And yeah. ANCAP is, you know, I'm really glad we have ANCAP as an independent watchdog. And it's, you know, things like this are of genuine concern. The people that are probably going to be caught out are the people who've bought Tucson's and, and might be justifiably a bit worried now. Is this going to hurt resale? Yeah. Uh, if there's a five-star Tucson floating around in three or six months' time that has been tweaked and re-engineered, you're going to have these kind of ones that sort of, uh, you know, stand mm. out a bit. Yeah, exactly. So, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes them to uh, fix this and we will keep you updated, of course. You are listening to Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. We, uh, we are the only motoring show on this station. So if you're looking <laughs> for motoring, then this is it. I'm sorry to tell you, there's nowhere else to go. P.S. If you have any questions or you're after advice on uh, buying a car or something, we can pretend to be able to help you. Uh, text in 0427 JOY949 or email on air at joy.org.au. Any questions, we are happy to help out. Um, and sometimes we actually do help. You know, despite our best efforts, we actually do help people. Um, uh, boys, uh, this week has been a bit of a funny one for the taxi industry. Um, <laughs> bit of a bit of a small boo-boo, bit of social media boo-boo, guys. What happened this week with the Victorian taxis? This isn't the first time that we've seen something like this, but the Victorian taxi industry uh, basically employed a agency to. Uh, end their or relieve their woes with regards to competition from ride sharing services like uber and they came up with the your taxis hashtag expecting that they'd get a lot of positive feedback uh with people telling heartwarming stories of how your taxis helped save the day or went above and beyond that's not the result they got they certainly did not. (laughs) no no there was some pretty nasty stuff so they spun it beautifully though I got a, I kind of, I think maybe they saw this coming and this is all a little bit, I think I kind of expected it. So obviously, you know, people didn't, as, as always happens on social media, people didn't say nice things. They said horrible no. things. You know, yeah. my taxi driver was a creep. He didn't, didn't want to take me on a short fare. There's a whole lot of horrible things yeah. that have been, that have been said about taxis. Justifiably so, because people have bad experiences with taxis a lot, and and clearly it backfired. But I can't honestly believe that they didn't see this coming, because yeah. these kind of campaigns have been tried before, and they always fail. You would have to be slightly aware, surely. And then this is why I think they might have known it was like, might have known it was coming, because the way they spun it 
was to say, mm. oh, look, we were just yeah. after feedback. <laughs> we just wanted honest feedback. We just wanted people to share with us their concerns. And now we have a forum for debate. It was really beautifully done. Mm. Whether they thought of that on the fly, I just I can't believe that. Because, again, they've tried, this has been tried so many times before and it's always failed miserably. Yeah. The idea that they're either completely stupid yeah. or they've got some strategy that hasn't quite revealed itself yet. Well, maybe, you know, maybe the strategy is, strategy is that people will actually start to feel sorry for the taxi companies now because of something like this happening. I feel a bit like because the taxi industry has a fairly antiquated view of how to operate, especially with a, uh, a 21st century competitor like Uber, mm. I think they had no idea that this was coming. I don't think they quite get how social media works. No. What, what kind of agency, therefore, lets them do that? I mean, they, well, that's yeah. the latest thing, isn't it? They sacked the agency yes. that was responsible yeah. for it. And, and nobody's really... They've, I think there's been a lot of calls made to a bunch of agencies to say, was it you, was it you? Was it no. Funnily enough, no one's put their hand up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I saw a couple of your ta- hashtag your taxis from people I know, actually, and uh, there, there's some pretty horrific stuff that's well, been... who hasn't said. had a terrible experience oh, with a taxi? I've had many. And yeah. there was one in particular. There was uh, Somebody mentioned something about homophobia being um, picked up at, like, a gay bar and then uh, having a... Uh, taxi drivers say some fairly homophobic things. I've had something, this is in the 90s, so I've had things like that. You know, I mean, Look, yeah, everyone's had some negative it's taxi experiences. Difficult. There's a lot of uh, stories of short fares being denied, oh, which yeah. is something that I think most people would be familiar with. Yes. Uh, a lot of bookings that get ignored or arrive far too late to be useful. Mm. Uh, a lot of discrimina- uh, discrimination, a yep. lot of... Um, harassment. Harassment and sexual assault stories. Yeah. Like some really, really frightening things. Yeah. Do you guys, if I can ask, do you guys use ride-sharing services like your Ubers? Absolutely. Yes, yep. I do. And yeah. what, what you, what's your take on them and why, why would you use them over a taxi? Well, the first reason is you can track the car. You can see how far away it is. Not only that, but you know who your driver is. You can see ratings and it gives you a level of, you know, you, you, it's a known quantity. Mm. Of course, you know, as, as a guy, I don't think I have to worry to the same degree of, you know, there, there are safety issues that some people feel towards their driver and, mm. and I'm lucky enough to not, not necessarily feel those all the time. But I think yep. with Uber, there are more checks and balances along those lines. Mm. The argument that taxi companies always throw out is they're insured, they're licensed, they go through rigorous testing, but do you really <laughs> notice any of those things? No. No, you don't. I can assure you the, you the van that I caught, the taxi, maxi taxi to the airport a few weeks ago, uh, that, that hadn't been tested in a few decades. Mm. So, I, look, I'm a bit with you and I think it, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that are very anti-Uber and... I, I, I can understand yeah. their fear. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, I think I've been burnt enough times by taxis. Yeah. I've had short fare refusal. Yeah. Uh, me and my partner, this is going to sound ridiculous, but we both have beards. Now, if you're trying to catch a taxi after midnight... Two men with beards will not get a taxi. Really? And I understand why that's frightening as well. Oh. However... I'd love to pick up two men with beards. That's, that's a bit of an issue, right? If you've got yeah. a woman with you accompanying you, oh. all of a sudden it becomes much less of an issue yeah. that is in true, our experience. Actually. That's interesting you say that, and that's probably why I've always done the gay wave when I've put my hand up to hail a taxi, just as a non-threatening, um, I'm pretty camp as it is, so I just make sure it's known that I'm really camp. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> that is, yeah. I'm bad. Is it going all right for you? <laughs> yes! Yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Problem solved. But look, it's, it's a very interesting thing. We'd love to hear from you as well. Do you use Uber? If so, why? And what problems do you have with uh, with taxis? Um, the other thing is there's uh, there's going to be more companies doing this kind of thing, and there's obviously those um, ride more more ride sharing and um, pooling, carpooling, and that kind of thing. 
So you could end up sharing a ride to work with somebody in someone else's car. How do you guys feel about that? Because I'm quite a bit uncomfortable with that. It's great for the environment. I get it. But... Well, you I know. think having your own... I, I love driving and I mm. like the fact that I can be in a car as like a capsule of solitude. I can listen to what I want to listen to. <laughs> I can make the phone calls I want to make on my Bluetooth system, of course. Yeah. Know, nothing illegal. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a chance to get away from everything and just yeah, shut yeah. yourself in. Uh, mm. It's kind of selfish, I guess. But I think, you know, getting a ride with your friends is one thing, but... Whether I would enjoy the social aspect of it otherwise, I'm not so sure about. No, I'm the same. What the about you, flip Kez? side of that, of course, is regardless of whether you're getting into a taxi or you're getting into a Uber or anything else, a bus, mm. you're getting in with a stranger, mm. ultimately. Now, obviously, with a taxi or a ride-sharing driver, you're, you have the ability to take down a licence number. You've got their details, etc. If these systems are set up properly, you'll know who you're sharing a ride with. You yeah. know? And ultimately, if something goes wrong, they should be held accountable. Yeah. They should be rateable, like an Uber driver, yep. so that if they're a terrifying passenger, they simply won't be a part of the service anymore. Yeah. But I don't, have, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's fine. Because like I say, you don't know the person that you're getting in a car with in most mm. of those other circumstances anyway. Yeah. Um, and you're sort of forced to socially interact with them or completely ignore them and play on your phone. And I think that's... And, and yeah. you know, that's exactly... Yeah. what's going to happen in that scenario anyway, I think. Yeah, that's very true. It's quite interesting, and it's obviously uh, it's shaken up the Australian taxi industry, and I think we can all agree that's probably a good thing. Um, but we do want, uh, we'd love to hear from you about that, whether you uh, use taxis, if not, why not, and why you use Ubers. 0427JOY949 or email on air at joy.org.au. Uh, just briefly, boys, before we uh, move right along, some other news this week... Uh, a little bit of we've been talking a lot about Dieselgate, Volkswagen Group, their controversial cheating. Uh, some news uh, locally this week that uh, the AAA, so the body that oversees all of the you know the the motoring groups of each state and territory, they do their Australia's Best Car awards every year, like a Car of the Year style thing, and they have ditched the Volkswagen Group cars from their awards. Is that fair? Is that harsh? Do we think that's an appropriate measure? Do Volkswagen Group deserve it? I feel like maybe dropping the uh, affected vehicles makes mm. sense, but I don't know that striking Volkswagen as a whole out of the... Because uh, they've got new models launched this year and, and ones that are um, not affected by the Dieselgate recall. Mm. So I kind of feel like going all out and dropping the brand entirely might be a, a touch harsh. If you ditch unethical car makers, you would have no cars <laughs> in your competition. There is that too, yeah. Every yeah. car brand is unethical. Their corporation just what happens, <laughs> whether it's you're making cars in countries with you know conditions that we would find aberrant at times, whether it's whatever it is. Every yeah. corporation at some point in its history has had a moment where it has done something. The Volkswagen issue is extremely serious, yeah. sure. But like Kez said, most of the Volkswagen group cars sold aren't affected by this. So it seems very incongruous to yeah. punish the lot. It's interesting, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes rattling the cages has other advantages. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And I'm sure we will see, uh, well, who knows, but um, there is likely to be more... Uh, car makers uh, or other issues relating to this come to light uh, in the in the near future. Um, but the other thing is this focus on the automotive industry. It's like let's look at you know food companies that lie on their labelling and things like that. I'm not I'm not saying not justifying Volkswagen's behaviour, but a major corporation lied, which is terrible. Which one hasn't? 
Well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm just some kind of communist. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is Fender Bender. We've got lots more coming up very, very shortly, so do stick around. You are listening to Fender Bender, Joy's very own automotive, motoring, motor, car, 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 good times, happy, happy, fun place. Is that what we are? Wow. <laughs> We are that's catchy. That. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's our new tagline. That's our new tagline. Could you I, just repeat it? I know. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. <laughs> uh, Tim, Mike and Kez here with you on a lovely Saturday afternoon in Melbourne, wherever you're listening. Hope you're having a fabulous day as well. Uh, we're just going through all of the automotive news of the week and all of the uh, the fun times before we get to some sexy, sexy cars to put your sexy pants on or something. Is we're going to get sexy later? A little bit? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit sexy. We'll see. We'll see. Um, now, some other big, big, big news, guys, this week that I don't think comes as a gigantic surprise to those of us in the industry is uh, Hyundai's big announcement this week, Mike. Yeah, it, it announced that uh, the Genesis brand will become its own brand. Uh, forgive if that's confusing. But, um, <laughs> the car only sell a car called the Hyundai Genesis, which is a luxury car aimed at the BMW 5 Series and that kind of uh, class of vehicle. And it was designed to make people think differently about Hyundai. Uh, and is now announced that it is actually going to spin it off as a, as a dedicated sub-brand. Mm. So there will be no Hyundai badging whatsoever on the cars. They'll be the Genesis. And they've announced there'll be six different cars before 2020 with names such as the G80, the G70, the G90, etc., etc., kind of dull, anonymous names, as bit. per normal for modern car brands. But think about this as Nissan's Infiniti or Toyota's Lexus, mm. and you kind of get the idea. Um, there's going to be two SUVs, a coupe, and a couple of large sedans. Mm. Um, and look, considering Hyundai's you know, uh, massive steps forward in recent times, they should be quite good. Also, they're all going to be rear-wheel drive-oriented, so they'll ah. be quite sporty as well. And when you consider the fact that a former Bentley designer is the chief designer, mm. when you consider that they poached BMW M Division's main engineer to engineer the cars, they're probably going to be pretty good. Why are they doing this, though? Do they see this as some kind of like way to make their Hyundai brand sexier, or is it a cash grab because there's, you know, premium cars are all the rage and people are really stepping up? I think it's got to be maybe not a cash grab, no. but it makes good business sense to... Mm run a high-margin brand separate from the mainstream brand. Mm. And there's opportunities there to run products that may be parallel with things they've already got without confusing consumers by having two SUVs of the same size in the showroom, two sedans of the same size mm. in a showroom, things like that. So yeah. to be able to differentiate them more clearly mm. makes more sense. But here's where it gets weird, mm. because this is not quite like Lexus or Infiniti in every way. Mm. I spoke to um, Hyundai's director of marketing this week, a guy named Oliver Mann, who, who gave me a bit of an explanation into how it's going to work in Australia. Mm. And, and the original point of Genesis really was to make people think differently about Hyundai. Mm. And the only way that you can do that is if people are aware that Genesis and Hyundai are one and the same. If people think Genesis is its own brand, there'll be no benefit to Hyundai yeah. whatsoever. People won't suddenly think better of an ac you know an accent or an uh, <laughs> Santa Fe or yeah. whatever it is. So Hyundai Australia, at least in the initial term, is actually going to sell Genesis in Hyundai showrooms. Yeah, They're not okay. going to have standalone Genesis showrooms like Lexus would. Yeah. And they're really going to emphasise the fact that these are actually Hyundai vehicles, yeah. with the thought being people will suddenly see the whole brand as being upmarket, mm. and Genesis is just kind of the slightly more market part of an overall market brand. It's a sort of interesting way to do it. Do you think buyers uh, or consumers in this country are going to want to pay what will be a, a premium um, for 
a Hyundai luxury car. Well, to paraphrase Oliver, he said the sort of people that they will want are not the sort of people who are attached to a badge. The sort right. of people who buy a Mercedes or a BMW because they want to be seen in something European and cool. They're the kind of people that want a luxury experience rather than a luxury car. Mm. And the badge is secondary. So what this company will do, just like Lexus, is focus on having the best owner experience. They'll roll out the uh, red carpet every time you go and get your car serviced. Yeah, okay. They'll treat you like you are you know, like you, you're everything to them. They'll give you the kind of uh, service that you've always wanted to have, all that sort of thing they'll probably do. The cars will be ridiculously cosseting and luxurious mm. for a comparatively cheap price, even mm. though they won't be cheap overall. And yes, they don't have the badge cachet, but they're kind of hoping that there are enough people out there that aren't badge snobs. Now, when you look at the growth in European brands in Australia, I think we kind of are badge <laughs> snobs. So totally where does. that works is yet to be seen. Yeah. Are they going to, I mean, we've obviously got the Genesis sedan here already that's on sale in this country. Um, now, I believe that's going to change its name to G80, is Correct. that right? And with a facelift, I think, next year. Um, but are they going to take that opportunity to go, oh, here's the new brand, here's the new, the new um, you know, moniker or whatever of this car, even though it's essentially the same car, but here's a new price point. Are they going to up the price point? Do we know anything on that front yet? Wouldn't be. I'd be. I'd be surprised if they did. Yeah. I think that'd be a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can put the price up with a whole new car that no one's seen before. Yep. But it'd be a bit silly to do with something people are That's, already aware of, right? Yeah. Yeah. I. I can't see them doing that. And I yeah. think the way that Genesis is priced, it, it is the most expensive vehicle in their range mm. at the. Top end, it's over eighty thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, I don't mm. think they. Until they're more established, I don't think they'll attempt to, you know, suddenly say that rivals a mm. E-Class or 5 Series on price. So they'll yeah. they'll always be, I think, maybe a little bit more value-oriented in terms of, like you say, they won't be cheap cars overall, but they'll be yeah. cheaper than some of the competitors that they're aiming for. But people have bought the fact that Lexus is a right market and when they're just Toyotas. Yeah. Mm. So why not Genesis? And I don't think that any Lexus owner is under any illusions that that company isn't owned by Toyota. Yeah. You know, They're all aware that that is Toyota's luxury division. They're not Toyota cars. They are... Lexus cars, but it's a Toyota company. And I think, give it a bit of time, and Genesis will probably be that same sort of feel amongst consumers. I think that's the appeal, some of the appeal of Lexus, though, because Toyotas are so reliable that people, particularly older buyers, are like, it's a luxury car, it's fancy, it's got prestige, and it's built by Toyota. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Whereas I think it's, it's such a big risk for Hyundai to do something like this. And I wish them the best, of course, but have they seen Infinity's lack of growth, for example? Well, the big problem for Infinity is, uh, from the outside looking in, Nissan won't stop meddling yeah. Everything Infinity yeah. does, Nissan wants to control. And yeah. the key here is if you're Hyundai, they've hired separate people to run Genesis. Mm. Let them bloody run it. <laughs> yeah. You know, give them money, let them run it. Yeah. The other big problem Infinity has, which Hyundai is going to avoid entirely by selling Genesis through Hyundai dealerships, Infinity only has three dealerships in Australia and is opening its fourth next year. And mm. it's been on sale in this market for about three, three years. years. Yeah. Yep. So. That's a really slow rollout. There's yeah. a dealership in Victoria, a dealership in New South Wales, a dealership in Queensland, and one coming to Western Australia. That's yeah. not enough to entice a huge amount of buyers because, let's face it, if that dealership is an hour and a half across town from you, it's essentially no good. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't drop your car off for a service on the way for work yeah. because it's probably a very long way out of your way. And a Hyundai dealership, there's... Yeah. One ten minutes away from you, yeah. you know, and so to buy a Genesis, the uh, I guess 
even though you only drop your car in for a service once a year mm. on a modern scheduling service, it still plays on people's minds. Yeah. And just, just, to, just to wrap it up, I would say that the current Hyundai Genesis is actually a really, really good car. Mm. You know, I, I rate it highly. We've, we've already got one Genesis out there um, mm. that will be rebadged, but it's a great car. Yeah. It's really, really good at what it does. And it's very reminiscent of early Lexus. The LS400 mm. was, you know, uh, no one really knew what the hell it was, mm. but it was amazing for what you paid. And the Genesis is just that. So I can see Lexus, sorry, Genesis mirroring Lexus's approach mm. rather than Infinity's. It's mm. also worth pointing out that while that Genesis is the first one in Australia, there is above it the Equus, which is a larger car again. It and the Genesis in overseas markets are in their second or third generation, depending on the model. So Hyundai has a fair bit of experience mm. in building premium cars. This, you know, they're not going in blind. They know what they're doing. Um, I do have to mention one thing, though, ladies and gentlemen. We are forgetting a premium brand from another car maker. Unos, anyone? Hey. Yeah. Shame. Mazda's uh, experiment from the 80s and the 90s. Um, Look, I I was in Japan recently with the good people at Mazda and there was a Unos Cosmo on offer to drive, Mm. which is a rotary coupe sports car thing from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to drive it, but it looked very cool. And I loved Unos when they were here. I remember being a kid thinking they were really gorgeous looking cars. 30X, the 500 and the the, 800. Yeah, one of them, the sedan, the mid-sized sedan that was like quite That was the the, the 500. That was when... 2.3 litre engine. Japanese brands had optimism and money. (laughs) And now they have neither. No, they don't. What's Mm. more frightening though is there was going to be a luxury division above UNOS. UNOS wasn't where it ended. There was a a quad rotor or V8 powered super huge sedan in the planning that Mm. when the uh, economy hit the fan in Japan, they very quickly shelved that Ah. idea and pretended like they didn't spend billions of dollars trying to develop it. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We promise. Um, Another one, ladies and gentlemen, of course, I forgot about, of course, is Honda's Acura. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which we do not get here, and I am okay with that. Yeah, mm. Yes, I'm very okay. And with that Citroen has DS now, which would be yeah. Really I guess that's yeah. I guess it is. It's all the rage. Now, Who's going to do it next? Is it Tata? Well, no, they've already got Land Rover. See, Land everyone's Rover. doing it. You're Land right. Rover and Jaguar. It's crazy, guys. Uh, is it a thing with Genesis being part of Hyundai, and they're going to be sold at Hyundai dealerships? There was in the 80s. Uh, you could buy. It wasn't a Holden, but it was a Statesman by Holden. Are you going to be buying a Genesis by Hyundai? No, it'll just be Genesis. Just be Genesis. That's really uh-huh. disappointing. <laughs> You're just trying to bring it back from the yeah. 80s, aren't you? Yeah, bad luck, Kaz, bad luck. <laughs> uh, we've got lots more coming up, so do stick near your wireless. This is Fender Bender. We have some messages, I believe, boys. Is that correct? Controversial one from Dave here. Hyundai is Korean. Korean brands are not known as good quality or luxury. European and Japanese cars are. Mm, If this was 1998, I'd agree with you. Uh, But if you have a look at what the Hyundai and Kia models are like today, Dave, seriously, if you're interested, go to a dealer and have a look. I think you'll be surprised. They've come a long way. Probably also Mm. worth pointing out in terms of Korean luxury, and I know this isn't quite the same thing, but uh, consumer electronics, nobody would have taken perhaps Samsung or LG quite as seriously as they do now, (laughs) 10 years ago. But... You know, Samsung is well and truly competing at high-end electronics. And so. with the Japanese, aside from Mazda, pretty underwhelming. Suzuki, yep. Honda, uh, all their modern cars mm. are in some ways a bit technologically underwhelming and actually behind the Koreans. Yeah, so, tech-wise. Mate, um, definitely at some time that was true, but maybe just have a, have a bit of a rethink. And the other one is, yes, people don't care where a car is made as long as it's good design. European, it's obviously... It's the obviously rebadged, cheap, nasty designs mm. and builds the dilute brand value. And that's from Bolo. And 
Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. I Very agree. good point. Um, now, speaking of European car, that's not really a European car anymore, ladies and gentlemen. We are uh, the, we've all recently driven Ford's new Focus, which I think comes out of Thailand. Am I right? Built in Thailand, yep. but designed in Europe. Yeah, very European car. Now th- there was a bit, there was a bit of controversy when they updated this in Australia because they they kind of pitched it a little bit higher than they had in the past, didn't they? And then a lot of, a lot of people drew the wrong conclusion, which is the car's a ripoff. But if you look at the base price of twenty four, the base car is pitched against the mid spec car of other brands. Ford just doesn't bother with the 20k fleet friendly. Yeah, it's not so much that they positioned it upmarket, they just took an entry level model Uh, away. Okay. Now, this car was always a great car, the Focus. In fact, it won our inaugural Fender Banneratus Car Award. It did. Uh, four years ago? Man, that's gone yeah, fast. But um, <laughs> there were some notable flaws, and this has addressed all of them. So now the, the only powertrain on offer, aside from the hot ST, which is a different car in a yeah. lot of ways, is a 132-kilowatt, 1.5-litre turbo petrol engine, which is the most powerful engine in its class by some margin. The other issues of the car were the interior, which was an absolute button fest. Oh, fixed God. now. Big 8-inch screen, great sync system, all cars have standard sat nav and reverse view camera much more resolved cabin big tick there the mm. redesign has given the front a sharper look and that dynamic package which was always class leading mm. alongside the golf and the mazda 3 remains as good as it ever has so on the front of it it's a damn good thing and when you drive it well that really is true it's it's mm. it's it's re-established itself in my mind as the class leader it's an interesting little range, actually, because, as we say, there is no entry-level model now. Apart from the ST, you've got a, a pretty compact little range. And I think that's a very smart move from Ford of having exactly the same powertrain. There's no manual. It's just the auto, the 1.5 turbo. No, there, there's, there's, there's a manual. manual. Is there? Yep. On the hatch, just not on the Trend stand. and sport not know hatch that. can but be equipped with a manual. Commendably, commendably, it's actually the auto that's the most commendable because the base yeah. manual is 23490 before on-road costs. Oh. The automatic's only $1,000 more. Now, most other brands charge Two to three thousand yeah. dollars to spec the auto. Yep. Ford's been really clever here because mm. it knows everybody buys the auto anyway. Yep. So stop overcharging for it. Yep. And that was another change that Ford made as well. They got rid of their power shift dual clutch Ooh. automatic and they've replaced it with a hydraulic torque converter automatic. So a more conventional setup and, and it drives much, much better as well. You hear result. nothing but bad things about that power shift's longevity as well. So mm. this is probably a good move on that front. And it just this facelift, mm. despite the fact that it took a year to get here, which is very frustrating. <laughs> addresses every bugbear that I always had with the Focus mm. and it retains all the positives and yep. I absolutely loved this car. I think it's better than the Mazda 3. I think it's up there with the Golf as a class leader and uh, honestly, if I had 25 grand to spend on a small car, it's probably the one that I would buy. Mm. Yeah. The update has created one small problem for me. What's that? The pre-update model, the fuel filler flap used to tie in with the bottom edge of the taillight on the hatch, yes. not on the sedan, now has slimmer taillights yes. and there's just a mash of lines and oh. my OCD <laughs> is red flagging that like you wouldn't oh, believe. You, Other than that, only you would notice thing. that. Yes. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to cope with it. I'll tell you what, I'll talk to you about this later, but the uh, Kia Optima, the C-pillar, you will lose your mind. Uh, lines going uh, everywhere. No. See, original Optima was really clean and yeah. good in that respect. New one, no. I've done some weird things. But look, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I think this car is fabulous. I drove it for a few days a couple of weeks ago. The S Sport model, whatever it is. The, yeah, it's yes. the Miss Sport. So that's the right? yeah. range one, yep. Heaps of kit, fabulous interior, and I, that my biggest issue was that horrendous Nokia phone from the 90s stack that they had, and they've gotten rid of all of that, like they did with Mondeo. They kind yeah. of went, we need to make this a, a more modern There's vehicle. There's a few cheap plastics remain, yeah. but when you consider the, the base car for me is a pick the trend, because yep. it's on the chubbier tyres, so it rides better. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and it gets standard sat nav, reverse mm. view camera, alloy wheels, all the good yep. stuff for twenty less than twenty five grand drive away at the moment, well, yeah. which is astoundingly good buying. Yep. In the sales charts, it's not even a quarter the volume no. of the Corolla, the i thirty, the Mazda three, and it should be because it's bloody good. But, so seriously, yeah. if you're looking at an i thirty yep. this weekend or a Mazda three or a Golf. Just go to your Ford dealer and have a look. I, I think agree. you'll be surprised. I agree. Now, changing tack a little bit, uh, moving on to something more exotic and European, Mike Costello. You had a bit of a, a fling with a Jag, did you? I did. And uh, the Jag F-Type, the spiritual successor to the famous E-Type, mm. uh, is a car that's been around for a while. And there's nothing particularly new about it, aside from a couple of minor drivetrain drive train tweaks that they've done recently the most notable being the addition of a six-speed manual gearbox uh, purists have obviously been delighted by this news because for a long time it was auto only mm. um, and the fact that they now make this 120-ish thousand dollar uh, luxury coupe as a manual is the sort of thing that they should have been doing all along mm. because the engagement factor of a manual is obviously going to be much much higher mm. and i have a theory about this car that is actually the perfect weekend car because it's really, I don't know if you would agree with me, Kez, but it's hard to find a better-looking car than that F-Type Coupe at the moment. That F-Type Coupe and the Roadster as well, like, people will snap their necks to get a look at it as you drive through town. It is absolutely eye-catching. It's, it's, the design is absolutely, you know, it stands out beyond anything else on the road. And the sound as well from the crackling V6. You, you have an exhaust that you can basically put in different modes and the crackle on the overrun is unbelievable. Mm. Um, so you have a car that turns heads, whether it's through looks or through sound. <laughs> and the fact that this car is trying to hark to an iconic car like the E-Type, the fact that you now have a manual shifter as an option really just enhances that because mm. that's what you want from a retro-style car. Mm. You want the engagement factor of a manual. And so, in my opinion... This car is not as good as, say, a Porsche Cayman in terms of interior presentation, in terms of ultimate dynamics, uh, in terms of powertrain really at the edge. Um, but in terms of presence and in terms of just going for a blat on the weekend, this mm. might actually be the perfect car. Who's buying this car? Because obviously people are buying Porsches by the truckload and their sales are up, 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 up. So they're not stealing any Porsche sales. So are these kind of, you know, wealthy executives who want a bit of a play thing or, you know? Possibly. I think, I mean, you look at sports car sales like the BMW 4 Series is booming. The Porsches are doing just fine. Mm. This is obviously attracting new buyers. Yeah. I think it's just that, you know, more people are in a position to buy luxury cars and sports cars now. Yep. I don't know if it's really stealing that many sales. No. no. It's, it's definitely just- worth pointing out though that people that are buying this aren't buying it as their sole transport so it's probably going in the garage alongside their existing older 911 or you know something else of a sporting nature but they just want to update their garage maybe with something a bit fresher yeah Yeah, i live in south yarra and there's three of them on my street and that probably tells you about the sort of demographic that we're talking about here oh dear see north fitzroy we're just all golfs around (laughs) there um and on that note ladies and gentlemen it's time to say goodbye for another week mike and kez thank you very much for being here hopefully we will uh, see your lovely faces at some point very soon Bearded faces. Three beards today, again. It's always good when there's an, a, 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 you know, a high level of beard in the studio. Or is that just me? That's, it's just me. It's, well, you, know, <laughs> you, you and me, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's so. looking at us like we No, what's going on? That's it. Um, we'll be back, of course, next week. Uh, do stick around for the fabulous Hannah. She's up next with Cute with lots of awesome new music. My name's Tim Nicholson signing off for another week. Safe driving. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details.
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.